All right, so I want to read a passage uh, that is going to describe the church, Big C Church, that we're all connected to. Um, And this is Paul in the book of Ephesians, uh, and he wrote this to encourage all the believers among the churches, specifically in Ephesus, which is like modern-day Turkey area, um, he was encouraging them that we're all part of the, the same body and that we get to celebrate that. So he described the picture of what the church, led by Jesus, empowered by his spirit, what the church looks like. All right, so I just want to read this description for you. And um, let's look at Ephesians 4. Let's start in uh, verse 11. It says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith, uh, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's the description that the Apostle Paul gave of the church. Is that the church that we see today? Is that the church of today? When, when, you, when you think of church, do you automatically go to, oh man, they're no longer children tossed to and fro by cunning and deceit and, and they're um, mature, uh, grown up into mature manhood and, 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 and we're in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Are those the descriptions, the adjectives that, that you think of when we think of the church that Jesus paid a high price, death on a cross, perfect sinless life, um, to restore us back into community with him and, and with his father God, to, to have this, this body of believers, is that the church today? I would wager most of us would probably say, I, I mean, I might see one or two of these things going on, but I, definitely not the whole thing. Um, I, I don't see this as the church today. So the question is, if that's not the church, then what needs to happen in order for the church to grow into this thing that Paul was speaking of. It's a promise. It's something that God wants for his body. And so the question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? Hey, HC kids, you ate R3, or three. that's you, parent. I'm not supposed to do that, but... <laughs> I could call the person out walking, but I'm not going to. And I just did by saying that. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, what does, how, what do we got to do 
What do we need to be? <laughs> How do we receive this model that, 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 um, that Paul gave us about the church? We're talking about community. Um, and I, I love this as a model. So look, look at verse 7. Bump up a few verses. I want to unpack kind of why we need this. It says, <clears throat> But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, so here, here's the picture, all right? Um, grace, uh, maybe you've heard me say this before, but the definition of grace here is that God is favorably leaned into you. Okay, so kind of like what Josh, the illustration that he gave about Jamie taking her ear thing out when she's singing and leaning in to, to hear what her daughter Emerson had to say, right? That is, that is Father God. He's favorably leaned in to who you are and what you've got going on, and he wants to be in presence with you. That's his grace. That's God's favor desiring to be with us. So grace was given to each one of us. Um, that's a really important concept because in ancient biblical times, when Paul wrote this letter, um, the, uh, the, the people at that time did not think of themselves first or primarily as individuals. They were much more connected to who they were as a body, as a, a national, as a nationality, or as a family, or as a people group, but they did not think of themselves as individuals the way that we in America do, okay? So this would have been a really important concept when Paul says that grace was given to each one, which literally means every single person. So in the room, every single person in here has been given God's favor, been given grace. A grace was given to each one according to the measure, measure meaning like how much is enough, right? Uh, according to the measure of Christ's gift. His gift, singular, one thing, Christ's gift to you and to me and to every single person that is walking on the face of the planet, it's a gift that he's literally holding out, leaning in, saying, here's, here's a gift, and I want to evidence it through my grace to you. Here it is. The gift is salvation. The gift is knowing intimately the Lord. It's walking with him. He's literally saying, the gift that I want to give you is my salvation. What's the measure of my salvation? The, the fact that you can get into community with God, what's the measure of that? It's boundless. There's no measure to how uh, much I want to give you this salvation, how much I want to give you this freedom to be able to walk and talk and commune with Father God. And I want to evidence it through grace, through you and me recognizing God's favor on our life. That is a huge thing. Um, now, in verses uh, 8 through 10, Paul basically talks about the fulfillment of a prophecy that happened in Psalm 68, and I don't really have time to unpack that, so we're just going to skip over it for time's sake. But uh, I would encourage you to, to read over this on your own time and, and ask the Lord um, what he wants to reveal to you in that. But the grace that's evidenced in the church is found in Ephesians 4.11. Okay, so look at this with me. Paul says, he 
gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. That's called the fivefold ministry. That's the church term for it. It's known as the fivefold ministry. Maybe you've heard that before. If not, that's okay. We're going to unpack and kind of talk more about what this looks like. Okay, so in order for the church to operate in the way that he talked about, about growing up in a mature manhood and not being tossed about by waves of doctrine and so on and so forth, being in unity in the body, the fivefold ministry, which is the grace of God on our lives, must be present in order for this to happen. Okay, so um, before we go any further, um, I think it's interesting because this is not only a historical thing, like when it talks about apostles and prophets and shepherds and teachers and so on and so forth. This, is a, this not, isn't just a historical statement that he's talking about um, prophets of old and apostles of old and those kind of things. He's actually talking about a continual work that is happening today. How do I know that? Because when I look at the church, it's not functioning the way he describes it. And if the church isn't functioning the way he describes it, then the fivefold must still be something that we need to raise up in the body to be able to understand what real community is like. So we still need Jesus's grace and we need it evidencing itself through the body of Christ in these five graces. I think it's interesting that there's five because in um, biblical, uh, uh, in Bible times, basically um, the number five is significant because it means God's grace. It means his redemption. And so the five-fold ministry, God is going to utilize that through, the, through his grace of the five-fold ministry to redeem and to, uh, to show grace to the church, which is, who's the church? We're the church, right? So if we want to benefit from unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and maturity and growing up, then these things need to be present in all of us. So let's unpack this for just a minute, okay? Because um, maybe, maybe you've never thought about this, and that's totally okay, um, I want to I want to challenge maybe the way that you think on this passage. So um, it says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Um, if you'll put that slide uh, thing on the yes, okay. So take that in for a minute. I'm going to talk about it as you're looking over it. Okay. So here's how we define these graces that the Lord gave us, okay? There are apostles, and apostles are people who have had face-to-face encounters with God. They are literally commissioned. They're a commissioned messenger of the Lord. The focus in that particular imagery is not the apostle himself. It's the sender of the message. And then the secondary focus is the message that is being sent. Doesn't that make sense? Like when in Bible times when they said, you know, Paul says, I'm an apostle of the Lord. The the focus isn't Paul. The focus is God sending the message. So God is the main focus and the secondary focus is the message that Paul brings, which is what he's writing to this church in Ephesus. So there are apostles, people who have had legitimate face-to-face crazy encounters with the Lord. Did you know that there are still apostles today. There are people 
who have had legitimate face-to-face encounters with the Lord. How do I know that? Because the original disciples, before Paul, walked face-to-face with God, with Jesus in the flesh. Paul, on the other hand, Jesus died and resurrected and uh, was in heaven. And in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, Paul has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was commissioned as an apostle. There are people who have had face-to-face encounters with the Lord that has literally given them a commissioning to do and to say and to carry a message. You know how else I know there are apostles? Every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've encountered him face-to-face. Now, I'm not talking like maybe, you know, as, as me and you are sitting here looking at each other, right? But if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you've encountered face-to-face the Savior, Jesus, and he's commissioned you. He's given you a message. He's given you something to say with your life. All of us have an apostolic grace on our life. Um, it goes on, it says that we, uh, there are given prophets. Prophets are people who declare the heart and thoughts of God. Um, the word prophet literally means um, to, uh, that, that, to, that something happens beforehand to bring light to or to create an epiphany beforehand. And so what prophets do is they hear the thoughts and the heart of God and they communicate his message to people. Now, I used to think that the whole like prophecy and words and all that kind of stuff was hooky kooky crazy stuff. Like that was only for, you know, the guys that wore camel skin, uh, you know, outfits and ate honey and locusts and all that kind of stuff in the wilderness. Um, but the reality is, is that prophecy is literally just communicating what God thinks and what his heart is for you and your situation. If you've ever been sitting with someone and they're going through a tough season or something like that, and all of a sudden, like, you just have this thought, like, man, I need to tell that person that God loves them. Did you know that's a prophetic word? Literally, one of the most prophetic things you can ever tell someone is God loves you. You know why? Because that's his heart. And that's his thoughts about that person. It doesn't have to be super deep and super, I see a a vision of a tree and a monkey swinging and you're underneath the monkey and he's throwing you a banana and then it's gonna... Like that that doesn't have to be prophecy, okay? It can be. I've gotten some of those words. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take the banana and think about it. But it doesn't have to be that crazy, right? Prophecy is simply God's thoughts in his heart for you in the situation. Did you know that we all have been given a prophetic grace? We've all been given evangelistic grace, a shepherd grace, a teacher grace. Evangelists are people who help bring uh, people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We don't save people, but we get to participate in helping bring people into a knowledge of Jesus. Shepherds, they're people who care for the well-being of a flock or a specific group. Maybe 
all of a sudden one day you become aware that there's um, homeless people in this community and you're like, man, we got to do something about homeless people. Like we got to minister to those homeless people. They need to be ministered to. There's, there's people uh, that, that are uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol and so on and they, they need ministry. They need, you know, whatever that is, whatever like begins to pull your heartstrings. Did you know that that's a, a shepherd's heart? <laughs> Somebody that maybe just encountered a death in the family or they're, they're put in the hospital or a loved one is in the hospital and they're struggling and, and you, you have this pull to like do something for them. You want to love them and encourage them. Did you know that's a shepherd's heart? Every single one of us in here has been given the grace of a shepherd and then teaching to cause to learn something, an instructor acknowledged for their mastery in a particular area of discipline or passion. Now, you may not consider yourself a master in anything, but I promise you, as you walk with the Lord, he begins to give you specific insights about things. Here's one. If you've been married for like 20, 30 years, you might know how to do marriage. That might be a thing that, that, that the Lord has gifted you to teach on or to speak on. Every single one of us has been given a grace to teach others what it looks like to walk with the Lord. Now, when I was growing up, basically, I knew the three at the bottom, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Apostles and prophets, like for the last several hundred years, um, we haven't really talked much about that. And basically what's happened is um, we've taken evangelist shepherds and teachers and we've relegated them, we've lumped them into one thing and we call them pastors. And we expect that the pastor in, is the one in the community that is supposed to be and do and know all of the spiritual things. And so like for instance, um, I you know have a... I guess, title of pastor. Um, so like, you know, I, I'm supposed to be the one that like knows and does and, and is connected to spiritual things and whatever. But I have specific leanings in these graces. I'm not great at all five of these things. I'm not this crazy deep apostle and this deeply prophetic person. I'm not the evangelist that stands on the street corner and ministers to people about how they need to know Jesus. Uh, uh, In all honesty, like shepherd, that's my lowest. (laughs) And I didn't have to take a a test to figure that out. (laughs) Like, really, I love y'all, but like, sometimes I just don't care. Can I say that? Is that okay? I'm sorry if that's offensive, but like shepherding is just not my gift. When my kids get hurt, I'm like, hey man, you'll get over it. And then they run to mom and they cry and she hugs them. And I'm like, why are you hugging him? You're going to make him a baby. He needs to be tough. Yes, amen, right? <laughs> Need some strong boys. Um, but shepherding, that's, that's, not my, that's not my thing. Like, that's not my top thing. I, I would say I'm pretty decent in the teaching area. If I was going to rank these, I'd say that was probably my, my top passion or the thing that, that, that I, I love to do. Um, but when I was growing up, I only knew those three things, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and I'm not a great shepherd, and I'm really not a good evangelist either. 
I have had moments where I lead people to the Lord and I've had moments where my heart has been connected to people and I've wanted to like shepherd them and care for them and stuff. But I mean, teaching was really the thing that I like to do. And so I looked at that as a pastor and I go, man, I stink (laughs) as a pastor. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm in the wrong business. But the reality is, he's given us a grace for every single one of these things. And sometimes they just show up as little blips on the screen of our life. Sometimes they actually take root and they hold tight for a long time. Now, I'm not saying that these aren't actually offices. Um, I don't think of the fivefold ministry necessarily in terms of an office that someone inhabits. I think about the fivefold more as a grace that inhabits us. Okay, so think about that. I'm not saying that there aren't people that are called to the office of a prophet or the office of an apostle or so on and so forth. Um, but, But what I am saying is that all five of these graces that Jesus gives us, why does he give it to us? To build up the church. Um, That these graces are for all of us to encounter the love of God and to give it away. We all have specific leanings. When you look at that list of five, you can go ahead and kind of begin to determine what are those things where I see God's grace show up most in my life, right? I'm a natural evangelist. I'm a natural teacher. I'm naturally a caring person. I want to serve, like that kind of stuff. You can already like look at that and see that's what is going on. But the reason why that is, is because that's like God's fingerprint on you. If you're a natural evangelist or a natural shepherd or a natural teacher, That's how God gets the most glory out of who you are in him. And here's the other thing. Like just because I'm talking about this fivefold ministry deal, don't think that what I'm saying is you have to be an apostle or a prophet or a shepherd or teacher or whatever. That's not the case. You are a follower of Jesus First, you are a son and a daughter of the king. That is your identity. Don't get the gift, the grace gift, and the identity mixed up. It drives me nuts whenever I go to different places and see speakers and things like that, and I see something that says like, apostle, such and such, prophet, such and such, teacher, such and such. Like, listen, I know that I have to have a title on my name sometimes and things like that, but here's the deal. You are not defined by your role. If God is defining you by your role, then all you are is a circus monkey doing tricks. You're not defined by your role. You're defined by who he says you are first. And what he sa- who he says you are is son and daughter of the king. And then he gives you a grace to be able to enact and partner with him for the building up of the body. Does that make sense? All right, so grab on that identity thing first. Don't get graces and identity confused. Okay, Um, it requires a a special um, grace to inhabit the office of these places. I mean, think about Paul, commissioned to be an apostle of the Lord. In in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, or uh, I think it's 15, 16, or 16, 17, somewhere around there, uh, Jesus tells Ananias, who is supposed to go pray over Paul, because Paul was persecuting the church and killing Christians and all that stuff, and he had that encounter with Jesus. God tells Ananias, I need you to go pray over Paul because he's going to be an apostle. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my cause. 
to inhabit the office of an apostle or a prophet or a teacher or whatever, that, that's, that's legit, like it's serious. To wear a, a camel hair outfit and hang out in the desert and eat locusts and honey, like people are gonna think you're weird. That was John the Baptist, by the way. That's what he did. Um, sometimes the Lord calls us up into these places, these offices, and, and, and we inhabit that. Um, but just because you don't inhabit the office of a shepherd or a teacher or a whatever doesn't mean that you don't have the grace for it. Every single one of us has been given these five graces in our life. And, and I want you to, to begin to think on, hey, God, where are those graces in me? Am I more of a, a teacher? Am I more of a shepherd? Like, like how do I see you showing up through this thing in my life. This is really significant because when we begin to understand this, it helps us understand how to be part of the body because I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus, but the grace that he's called me into is to teach. And so in order for me to help be a part, an active part of the body, part of the thing that I have to step into is teaching. And if, I, if I'm not doing that, then I'm not only um, not being an active part of the body, but I'm actually missing out on a grace that he's given me. Every single one of us has these graces and the Lord wants to show up in power in you, in what he has gifted you in. So why do we do this? Verse 12, it says, listen to this, the fivefold ministry exists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Like, think on that for a minute. Equip the saints. Okay, so here's the picture. Uh, think about a watch. Have you all ever seen, raise your hand if you've seen the inner workings of a watch before? Okay, so we're all tracking pretty much. Okay, like all these little cogs and wheels and thingies that are like ticking and going on to make that watch tick. That's what the word equip means. It means that everything is appropriately fitting together so perfectly that everything runs in absolute harmony. So um, think about this. When we talk about equipping the church, this is the difference between being healthy and being fit. If I go to the doctor today and I get a physical, chances are I'm going to get a check as being a healthy person. I'm within the right height and weight and body mass index and my cholesterol is probably pretty decent, blood pressure is okay, you know, like all that's like, I, I would be, I would get a clean bill of health. I'm a healthy person. Now, if I want to go run a marathon today, that's a whole different story. I might be healthy, but I'm not fit. I can't go run a marathon. And so here's the thing. When, we, when we're talking about equipping the church as a local body, Hope City, us, we're not interested in being a healthy church. We're interested in being a fit church. Fit is a whole different ball game than healthy. We're not interested in just checking boxes. Do we have groups? Do we teach? Do we, you know, have good music and kids? And like, are we serving? And yeah, 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 like all that. No, we're not interested in just checking boxes just to say, yeah, okay, we're, we're good by the measurements. We're healthy. We wanna be able to run marathons when the Lord says run. 
And so here's the thing. Um, you can be healthy without being fit, but you cannot be fit without being healthy first. And so it's just like working out. <laughs> if I want to run a marathon, it's gonna take some time for me to train into that. I can't just go do it today, right? I have to start by eating right and sleeping and you know working out and all those kind of things. And I have to train and, and work my body and get to the place where I am fit enough to run a marathon. And all of a sudden, one day, I wake up as I've been training and eating right and doing all these things, and I go, whoa, I'm, I'm pretty fit. I can do this. So it's the same thing with the church. We can't just be a fit church. We have to be a healthy church first. And so this is, the, this is stuff that like I'm letting you into that the Lord is downloading into us as, as like, okay, God, what do you want us to do? <laughs> How do we need to operate? Lord, please make us a healthy church. What does it look like for us to sleep enough and eat right and, and do these kind of things? Because Lord, when you call us, we want to be able to run as fast as you say run. We want to be a fit church. So part of it is this whole idea of equipping the saints. We are called to equip. We're not just checking boxes. We're getting fit. Um, so who are the saints? Equip the saints. Who are the saints? Every, all of us, right? If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you are a saint. Every single person in the room is a saint. Now, just because you inhabit a grace of, uh, of this in the fivefold, like if I say, oh, I've got the grace of a teacher, like I'm teaching, that doesn't mean that I don't have to go do anything else. It doesn't mean that all, all those homeless people out there, they can just, you know, do their thing and uh, somebody will take care of them whatever. Um, I'm a teacher. Like I have to sit in my office and study all day, every day. No, that's not the case. The purpose of the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry is so that God himself is elevated and seen in this community. Could you imagine we're partnering with like, I think 15 or so nonprofit organizations through Love the Triad. Could you imagine if all 15 of those organizations, if we began to serve and, and the, the places where our hearts skipped a beat for homeless people and for uh, battered women and so on and so forth, if we began to serve in those places out of a heart of grace for this community, could you imagine there would be a day where the nonprofits go, hey, we don't have a volunteer issue anymore. If every church got this concept, there would not be a volunteer problem because we would all be operating out of the grace of the fivefold ministry to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And lastly, it says, for the building up of the body. This is the reason why we're doing the classes that we're talking about uh, starting in September on September 16th. Um, the, the classes are for this equipping to help us call each other into and under the grace of these fivefold ministries. The building up of the body, when it says the building up of the body, literally the picture is God inhabiting a place. God setting up shop, like designing a building, and be, he's, God's the architect, he designs a building, and then he comes and lives in it. That's you. We are the building up, we are the body. Every single one of us is a place where God's spirit dwells. And so why do we need the grace of the fivefold ministry in the church? 
so that every single one of every single one of us may be built up and encouraged to be that place that God lives and dwells and moves and has his being. God is glorified by those things. Did you know that God is glorified just as much by all of you sitting here receiving a teaching under the, the grace ministry that the Lord gives, has given me, that you receiving that, that God gets just as much grace for that as he does for me getting to be able to teach. Like that's what the building up of the body looks like. There are some people that have prophetic words and we need to celebrate that. And for you to be willing to receive that is a grace and glory that God gets when we get to encourage one another when we get to talk about the visions that we have for the future that the Lord is birthing in us, when we get to teach, when we get to serve, that's how God is glorified in this place. Friends, if we begin to understand this concept, I promise you, this community will be turned on its end. So um, last thing, kind of as some, some homework, all right? This isn't gonna be one of those like everybody flood the altar and we're all gonna confess our sins and cry on each other's shoulder and all that fun stuff. Um, this, one, this one's just, I need you to think on this, okay? Um, so this week, I want you to, to read through this Ephesians 4 and ask the Lord, how have you seen him show up through these graces in your life? What are those places where he has showed up the most? Is it through meeting him face-to-face, through learning about his heart and, um, and, and declaring that stuff? Is it whenever you're ministering out on the streets and people come to Jesus? Does that make your heart beat? Is it shepherding, caring for others? Is it teaching? What are those things? Here's the reality, friends. We're not designed to just sit here and wait for eternity to happen. We are invited to step into a glorious opportunity to dominate this planet for Jesus Christ. We are called to kick the enemy's face in by these graces. And I'm telling you, when these graces begin to evidence themselves in a body like this and they grow more and more, then not only is the body built up, but the enemy is taken aback. (laughs) And he is reminded of his defeat over and over again. So where are these places where you see these evidences of his grace around you? Maybe you're looking at this list and you're like, man, I don't know. Uh, maybe one of those things. I, maybe I like to shepherd people. I don't know. If, if, you, if you're not seeing this, ask the Lord for it. It's a grace. It means he's favorably leaned into you. He wants to evidence himself in this way. And the other thing is if you look at this list and that's overwhelming, ask the Lord for people who have this. Like I said, I understood evangelists, shepherds, and teachers decently. I kind of had that, but I had no clue about apostolic and prophetic graces. And so I said, hey, Lord, can you put a prophet around me? (laughs) 
Like, I'm serious. Can, like, can, can, can you give me, like, help me understand this prophecy thing. I don't get it. Help me understand apostolic ministries. Help me understand the grace for that, God. And he started putting people around my life that have these gifts, that are encouragers, that can help me understand how to communicate the heart and thoughts of the Father, that have had specific face-to-face encounters with Jesus that have literally changed their lives, so much so that they look like the Apostle Paul. Their life looks nuts like that. These graces are real things. It's not just writings. Paul didn't just sit down and pin this to Ephesus and send it on and whatever. This is actually timeless, transcendent truth for us today. And so I just want to encourage you, think on that and ask the Lord, where do these graces need to show up in your life? And wherever they do, start leaning into that. Maybe you need to start teaching something somewhere. I'm not talking Hope City. This isn't self-serving. Maybe you need to actually go to a school and teach. Maybe you need to go stand on a street corner and tell people about Jesus, like for real. I'm not joking. Maybe you need to go tell people about your face-to-face encounter with the Lord that no one knows about because you've been afraid that somebody might think you're crazy. Whatever those things are, they're graces that he's given us to tell our stories.